G'day and welcome to episode 50 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and today I'm excited and finally we got to 50 episodes. Bit of a milestone. Today I'm sitting down with Shannon Spite. Shannon is the co-founder and CEO of Black Box Co. Her career is anything but linear. Born in Mount Isa, she followed her parents across Australia for their work before she began studying as a large animal vet. It was during her uni days that she stopped and reflected and ultimately decided that she needed to defer her studies for a couple of years, where she headed to Northern Australia where her love for cattle and the Northern pastoral industry really shone through. It certainly hasn't all been high tech for Shannon. As a qualified vet, her work saw her playing an integral role in the Northern Genomics Project, where ultimately a light bulb moment and identifying a gap in producers opened up the door for an opportunity for her while she was on her Xander McDonald mentoring trip. This life-changing opportunity really uncovered and I suppose allowed her to take that next step in her life and her career. Her story is one of tenacity, of rolling your sleeves up and having a go, of taking time to learn about others and what the problem is on hand, and what really makes Shannon so incredibly unique, on top of being able to fit it in as a co-founder a tech entrepreneur, a mother of two children, is that she's always willing to give back. As you'll find out, this episode happened on the side of the auctions plus stand at Beef Week, so you will hear a little bit of background noise. But it was ahead of the Next Gen Forum, which Shannon gave her time in spades for. As always, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, who really helped me make it possible to bring these conversations to life. LAWD are the specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. You can find out more at www.lawd.com.au. Enjoy the chat. It's been a long time coming, Shannon, so welcome. Um, I think you, when I chatted with Emma Black a while ago, your co-founder, I asked her for a bit of dirt, and so now... Because she didn't give anything, you can't even have a reply. No, this is this is my opportunity for revenge. <laughs> is there anything? Maybe I'll dish the dirt on you instead. <laughs> I don't know if there's any of that though. You what? I don't know if there's any of that. Oh, on dirt on you, no. oh mate. I've, I'm a, a sleuth. I can go years back in Facebook and find something. Don't worry. We'll Your see. listeners need to know. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, we're at Beef Australia, so it's amazing. Probably six months ago, we didn't think it was going to be happening. Um, you guys have had a massive kind of 18 months. So I suppose, yeah, from where Black Box was at, at this time last year, can you, yeah, give us a, an idea of what the week looks looks like ahead for you before we jump into yeah. everything else? Yeah, well, we, you know, 18 months ago with Black Box, we we were, were nothing basically um, and we had a, had a bit of an idea and a dream and it's changed pretty dramatically. We're here with, we've got seven full-time staff, over 800,000 animals on the database, 12 million data points and we've just closed uh, a capital raise that was oversubscribed, raising 1.5 and so it's been um, a very, very fast and busy last 12 months um, and this week is, is no exception. It's, it's going to be awesome. We've kicked off on day one, having a chat to you. Got lots of meetings um, and then we're talking at a few events. We've got Pitch in the Paddock on Wednesday, which will be, uh, yeah, fantastic. Giving a little three-minute pitch to everybody. And then, of course, Em and I are heavily involved in Next Gen, um, being on the committee and I'm the chair. 
And so lining up some events um, with Auctions Plus, the, the Forum, the Farmers Challenge, Catalyst, and of course Hats and Heels as the closer. There's plenty happening and I think we've got a couple of dark horses from Auctions Plus. We've got Hugh L and Zoe that I think are favourites for the Farmers Challenge. Oh, well they don't they don't know what's involved yet, but um, yeah, it should be it should be a very entertaining challenge. Is there any way. any I suppose early indicators of what it might include? I don't want to give you um, too much of an advantage, but I'd say have a strong stomach, fast legs, um, and you've got to be a quick thinker as well. Okay. There's, there's a big practical component. We've got um, one of the young auctioneer people that are going to commentate it. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be good and entertaining, that's yeah, for sure. awesome. That sounds good. Well, I'm looking forward to watching. I think Hugh might have the, the strong stomach and then the quick thinking we might leave to Elle or Zoe, so... We'll yep. see how we go. <laughs> no, no, knowing Q and L, that's that's probably the right way around, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I suppose I want to turn it back to say ten or so years ago. You were still a uni student, and well, even maybe six or seven. But this evolution you've seen of ag from your sense of kind of where you came into the industry, like as a uni student, I suppose what were the career aspirations? Obviously, as a vet, and where. Where, where did you want to see yourself in those first few years? Yeah, well, to be honest, I, um, I became a vet from my long-standing passion with orangutans. I was just loved them, wanted to move to Borneo to save them. Um, I think as I, as I grew up and evolved, I realised there's very little, little money in orangutans. Um, and it's, it's, clear, it's not as interesting as you think. Basically, everyone who enters vet, a lot of them want to be zoo vets and it's, it's really not, not as fun. So I joined private practice for a bit, loved cattle. Um, well, actually, halfway through uni, I deferred and worked for two years in the Northern Territory. Um, on a large cattle station just outside of Catherine and that's what really cemented my interest in the industry and where I fell in love with it and haven't really looked back since. And so was the lure of I suppose the northern cattle industry was it around just wanting to get away have a bit of fun or was it something that yeah you'd seen where, where else did you grow up? Yes I was well I was born in Mount Isa but I was born to um uh a family in the mining industry, so we bounced around a fair bit. We, we went to Perth and London um, before ending up in Brisbane, and my parents actually went to Brazil. Um, and so, yes, it, it definitely wasn't wasn't in my blood at all, but I had an interest in, in cattle and in the northern beef industry after a few friends had come back, being jilleries and jackeries there, and just thought, I've got to give it a crack. Um, and it was an industry that I knew nothing about. Like we were, we were going through vet science, learning lots and lots about cats, dogs, you know, guinea pigs, rabbits, everything else other than cattle. And it was a really ignored subject, especially I was studying down in Sydney. Um, and Sydney is pretty notorious for never churning out large animal vets. So decided I have to I have to learn something about the industry that I want to go into. Yeah, wow. It's um, I suppose like vets a long course as it is taking hey it's nick here sheep farmer and rabobank regional client council member i'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies my job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives those that support education in ag rural health sustainability and help bridge the country city divide We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, 
funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Now, the time and saying, OK, I actually need to get out there, get my feet on the ground, understand it, and willing to, I suppose, play the longer game. That's, that's interesting, but it shows a lot of, I suppose, confidence in yourself and providing yourself with that platform yeah and I think it really paid off in the long run like just being able to have boots on the ground and understand the industry from from the pain point of being in the yards for like really long days and handling cattle and stuff like that really paid off when it when I was on the other end of it um and I was like in the crutch preg testing cattle and I know how the person in the backyard feels or the person who's running the head bell so you've gone from I suppose vet or I suppose Jillaroo, um, and then back to uni, finished it off. You've then come out, worked through private practice, and then um, I suppose the next big step or, or maybe the platform which really propelled your career was this northern genomics project that you were part of. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was and, and how that came about? Yeah, so I was a vet in Charters Towers, um, and there's a well-known fellow called Geoffrey Fordyce in Charters Towers that likes to give everyone a bit of hell. Um, and he's, he's really has worked for the University of Queensland for a number of years for coffee and has done a lot of ovarian scanning. And so I said, oh, it's a skill I'm kind of keen to learn. So I went out with him to Spyglass, one of the research stations out there for a bit um, and started to pick up this, just, you know, doing it on weekends and after hours at work. Um, and then kind of became pretty handy at it after a lot of preg testing. Um, and he mentioned this opportunity to join this Northern Genomics Research Project. And it was right up my alley. I was, I was sick of dealing with cats and dogs. Um, not that I had to deal with too many of them. Um, the owners didn't really like me dealing with their cats and dogs as well. I was pretty bad at it. But um, yeah, it was, an, it was a fantastic opportunity to marry some of the things I loved in terms of like tech and innovation and the beef industry, which was my absolute passion. And so working on, I suppose, the, the Northern Genomics Research Project and you, and you worked your way through to a point and there's this, this gap that started to open up, which was around the consumer, oh, sorry, the producer adoption of, of the data and actually then utilising it. And so I suppose at what stage was it that the, this idea or maybe the light bulb went for you and... And if you, I suppose, if you can remember, like, what what was it at the time? Was it just uh, an afterthought? What was it? No, it was it, it was a very distinct moment actually, because I'd had producers come up to us. You know, I would give them a little bit of feedback on their data and on their genomics, do up a few graphs and stuff like that. And they would always kind of say like, "We've got more data. We've got more data," and they weren't utilising it. And so that was always sitting in the back of my mind. And then in terms of genomics, if you want to keep your genomics up to date and accurate, then you have to have data continuously fed into the system. Otherwise, you know, you do a research project like the Northern Genomics Project, and you're going to have to do that every five years or three years as, as genetic gain accelerates. And so I saw that there's, there's this bunch of information out in the industry. There's so many aspects of the industry that need it whether it be genomic research supply chain research pharmaceutical research that sort of thing and that's when I was like sitting sitting back at NABRAC I remember and going someone really has to do something about it um, 
And then when no one seemed to be doing anything, I thought, well, hell, maybe I can try. Um, that nicely coincided with the Xander McDonald Award, um, which I had been a recent recipient of, um, co-winner with Luke Evans. And sitting next to those people, I mean, you'd know yourself, it's anything feels possible when you're sitting next to people that have built absolute empires. Um, and, and a lot of them started from nothing. So, yeah, it all kind of, the stars aligned, coincided. Um, met the co my co-founder, Emma Black, um, and she's the one who, who really highlighted the fact that this wasn't a problem unique to just the breeding operations. It was right through the supply chain, through to the carcass end and, and how people use that data. And because that, I suppose, Emma's background is, is really interesting and really complementary to yours. You've come in from one side of the supply chain, she's come in from the other and actually looking at the finished products. And so I, I want to jump into the Xander McDonald Award in a minute, but just that, I suppose, um, you've met Emma and you, and you just start talking about these ideas. At what stage did you just, did things click and it opened up that, yeah, there's a real opportunity to make something happen with, with a co-founder? Because it's something that, yeah, I, I can imagine it'd be quite a interesting process to go to. Uh, go through. Yeah, yeah. They kind of say like uh, co-founder is very much like a marriage. Um, and so I had started Black Box, kind of like inaugurated the company and uh, incorporated the company. And um, we'd had some initial investment and we're going through Spark Labs Cultivate. So the wheels were kind of already turning. And those guys said to me like, oh, try and name a tech company that doesn't have co-founders. And you can't. Like a startup journey is very lonely on its own and, and not many tend to succeed where you don't have co-founders. Um, and so from there I was kind of keeping my eyes open um, and every time I spoke to Em it was like a long courtship sort of thing and I was just slowly planting the seed as I was going um, until one day I was like, look, what do you reckon? You know, my hands, my palms were sweaty. It was like I was asking her on a first date. And I just said, you know, how would you feel about, like, coming on board and, and being part of this? And so we, we drew up a contract. We kept everything, you know, very legal and very black and white. Um, and then it just really grew from there. Like, M, M quit her job before I did. Um, it took a huge leap of faith and has just, like, absolutely run with it. Um, we both say that this is our third child. Um, you know, collectively we've got, we've got four children under four. Um, but, but Black Box is sometimes the most important one. Um, and it, it's just, I'm so thankful every single day that, that she saw the opportunity um, and that she was happy to take a punt on this. And so what's it like when you've got, you start a business? Obviously you and Emma have built up quite a friendship, but you're also running a business. You've now gone through a capital raise. But there's, a lot, there's pressure there. And so how, how do you manage, I suppose, turning up to work? You've... You're still friends with her at the end of the day, but also keeping that professional relationship of what's best for the business. Yeah, I, I think it comes pretty naturally to us, actually. Like, it's, um, it's never been an issue. I think, first and foremost, we were, we were colleagues within the beef industry and friends within the beef industry, and we share such a true vision and passion that it's always fine. And we consult on everything, you know. There's not a day that goes by that we don't talk um, and yeah, we, we're very clear on our roles and very open and upfront. Like we, we run on radical transparency, um, and 
there's definitely been times that she's had to pull me into line and say, you've got to stop saying that, Shannon, or you've got to stop doing this, or, you know. Um, yeah, and, and then similarly, well, I probably, she's pretty well behaved, so I almost never have to pull her into line. She's just mainly her pulling me into line. Yeah, right. The radical transparency is an interesting one. I don't know if I've heard that term before. Yeah, I think it's um, actually Richard Range introduced me to a book by Ray Dalio um, and he's very much speaks about radical transparency and being really open and I think that's having that as a rule within our company is really um, has really helped us, especially because we, we're growing and you have to talk about uncomfortable things like like salary and equity and benefits and at the end of the day, everybody has to be winning and we believe in that like as an organisation and with who we collaborate outside. Like there's no lasting relationship that happens when it's not a win-win situation. And so I suppose, yeah, with that, that radical transparency from, from not only you two but across your employees, how have you guys found finding staff? Because, yeah, a, a tech business, you've got potentially different cultures, you've got people in different locations. How, how have you managed that? on top of, I suppose, really launching and scaling the business during COVID? Yeah, um, so we, we've we found um, attracting staff fairly, um, I guess, fairly easy. We very much, if, if there's somebody that w- that is going to benefit us, we'll make room for the right person, always. And that's always been my rule, and we've told people that, you know, if there's somebody that you think is is going to be key to our success, it doesn't matter at what stage we're in, but we're going to make room for them somehow. And so we first, the first person that we hired outside, obviously, Em and I, was our CTO, Jeffrey Donaldson. Um, and we had actually been working with him. He was working for a consultancy agency before. Um, and so he came across and then he has brought on the rest of the tech team. So Esther and Celia um, and now Michael. And then a Sam, who works on our operations side, who you know well. Um, he we actually called by before. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Emma brought him on. So it's all been through people that we know. Um, and that's been really fortunate. Obviously, at the, at the size that we're at, that you can do that. Um, but that's really how we hope to continue to grow, um, is through attracting the right people at, at ideally the right time. Yeah, for sure. And particularly with the type of customers you're, you're servicing, it's, it has to be people the right fit, not only for your business, but for the customers as well. Cause yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're very much about hiring the best of, you know. So our, our team is completely remote. We've got two in Melbourne, one in Sydney, one in Brisbane, Hewenden, Mission Beach, myself up on the Tablelands. Um, and so it's not, it's not about location and... And it's also not just about, in terms of the tech team, they don't have to be passionate about the beef industry. In fact, one of our, one of our best developers is a vegetarian. Um, and we've had her working on carcass reports for like the last six months. Um, but as long as they find a, find a problem that they're interested in, and for, for us it's an opportunity to educate people about the industry as well. Yeah, and from that perspective too, so your, your staff member who's a vegetarian, like... How much have you learned from her and just understanding, I suppose, her perspectives, his or hers? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's just about being open to uh, opening up the 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 bubble 
or the glass container that we're all in in the beef industry and, and realizing that you know a lot of a lot of people in in the cities or who have um, I guess more liberal ideas than than some of us might have and where they're coming from as consumers um, because at the end of the day that is that's the market that we're that we're that we're entering into with the product of beef. Yeah, I suppose on that topic of like around Beef Australia, where the industry was at in 2018, we're three years down the track, it's a completely different situation. It's rained across a lot of Australia, still not all. Um, prices are at record high, land prices are going through the roof. There's a lot of confidence. So what, what do you see as, I suppose, the exciting opportunities um, probably out, like out of out of this week and this gathering, but I suppose moving forwards as well. Yeah, I think one of the biggest opportunities is is time to invest in the business um, and focus on the business as opposed to you know slogging away every day for so long. You know, so many of us have been carting out feed, cutting water, supplements, you know, trying to keep stock alive. And hopefully this is a time that we can kind of celebrate, reflect and really set upon that vision of what we want to produce as producers and what we're aiming for. You know, we've we've got a growing world population. Um, there's no shortage of customers. Customers are being born every single day. Um, and that is a fantastic opportunity and a need that we are really poised to fill. And so your week specifically at Beef, you've got, um, as you mentioned, you've got a pitch on Wednesday afternoon, the Next Gen Challenge after that, and then the Next Gen Forum. Um, first and foremost, the pitch, what, what is it? Um, how long do you guys have? And I suppose what's the, why, why are you involved in it and what's the takeaway you hope to get out of it? Yeah, so Pitch is basically, I guess, a Shark Tank version for the beef industry. There's nine teams and, and Blockbox is one of them. Um, all pitching for three minutes and then we get three minutes of questions afterwards. Um, and we've got we've got some stiff competition there, awesome teams. They're, they're great guys. I'm looking forward to having a, having a shot of rum with them beforehand and a beer with them afterwards. Um, but yeah, it'll be really exciting to see, you know, what are the early stage startups that, that are in the beef industry and that hopefully three years from now, you recognise their names and, you know, we're, we're customers of them and we use them and you can you can start to be those, those first movers. Yeah, and it, it's really interesting. I was only thinking about it last week. Um, Provenir, so Chris Ballas. I remember he stood on the stage there. At that stage, he was pitching a mobile slaughter unit was the name of the business, or uh, Farm Gate MSU, I think. Anyway, he, um, yeah, then has transformed Launch Provenir. And I was only thinking about it this week, how far his business has come from standing on that stage as an idea to now not only setting up his mobile abattoir, but he's actually changed legislation in Victoria to do <laughs> to do, um, to do mo- mobile slaughter. And um, hopefully for you guys, it opens up massive opportunities. Yeah, well, we're, we're really excited about Wednesday and about afterwards and, and just being able to, you know, spread the word on what we've been up to and what we're doing. Um, you know, we've had tremendous organic growth, which has been fantastic. But obviously at Beef, you've got, you know, all your potential customers in, in, or most of your potential customers in one spot. So it's, it's a really valuable opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a good week for it. And there's a few familiar faces getting around. I did see Richard Raines last night and John McKillop. Um, which is really exciting. So the Xander McDonald, I think there's going to be a few people coming around and there was just a new crowning of a New Zealand champion last week as well with Sam Vivian Grier. So you're a judge as part of this year's um, process. Are you 
continuing that going forwards or is, was it just a single year? No, no, um, I'm a, I'm a one, one hit wonder with that. Me, me and Chicken both are actually. So you, you get um, the privilege of being on the judging panel if you've, if, as the previous winner. Um, so that's where we, we got to be involved in the selection for this year and it was, it was awesome. Um, you know, narrowing down the list to just the finalists was really, really difficult and then picking a winner was really, really difficult um, as well. Like there's, it's just sensational to see what people are doing um, and we're sad that we couldn't combine it and, you know, get to interview the Kiwis and put the pressure on them as well. But I think we've ended up with, with two outstanding winners and really look forward to seeing what they do, but then also what the rest of the finalists are doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just that, the whole process and those few days we had together in Orange, it felt like a week, um, what we got out of it. In terms of your own experience and that mentoring, it, it, was that the pivotal point in, I suppose, your career that, that changed it? Yeah, absolutely. Just the, I mean, you'd know from Orange, as you mentioned, but the people that you meet um, give you confidence within yourself that, oh, okay, maybe I can have a crack at this. Um, and that's what you need sometimes, I think, especially as, you know, young professionals in the industry. Um, in what in what is sometimes an ageing industry, it's, it's hard to think that somebody of our age can achieve something pretty big or, or instrumental for the industry. But... It's been fantastic for, for Black Box, obviously. I met Emma through that. Um, we've had support through that. We've had, um, you know, many of the members involved in the capital raise as well. And so that is really strong. We know that that, that Triple P network and the people involved in the Xander McDonald Award are going to support you 100%, you know. Whether you're an applicant, a finalist or a winner, they all want people to succeed. Um, and become the, the next generation of leaders for the industry. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's been really interesting is just that, it, like even just as a finalist, oh, I suppose before even that, everyone who applies actually gets a response to their application, which just is just an amazing um, program to be part of. Then as a finalist, you still get access to the people um, as part of that. But that, that wasn't the end of, I suppose, your accolades more recently being named one of the 30 under 30 by Forbes for, for Asia. Um, that's a hell of an achievement. What was it like? Was it completely out of the blue? Did you get, I suppose, an indicator that someone had potentially put you up for it? Yeah, well, you do get a bit of an indicator because they ask you for a headshot at some point. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, getting an e email from... Might have to edit that one out, sorry. <laughs> if this is going live, that was Barb, sorry. Barb Bishop. Um, no, the... Yeah, you, you get a bit of an indicator because they... Yeah, someone from Forbes Asia asked, asked you to um, send a headshot through and then they, they actually asked me if I had any co-founders and I said, yes, of course, Emma Black. Um, but she didn't get to be involved because she wasn't under 30. So she just Bloody missed it. Yeah. I know. They're brutal. They're brutal. Maybe 35 under 35 or something. <laughs> that would be nice. But, um, yeah, we, I mean, snuck through and that's... that's I mean, it's, it's overwhelming and it's pretty awesome. Um, and it's... Yeah, no, it's 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 very humbling to be involved on something that is a platform that is bigger than the beef industry, that's bigger than Australia, that's bigger than technology. Um, that is is really, really cool and something that I'll definitely remember for the rest of my life, um, even though I think I'm going to be 
I'm going to be 30 in uh, 21 days, so I just snuck in. Ooh, just in time. Thank God they didn't yeah. just delay it a few months. Yeah, exactly. I would have been screwed. Yeah, right. And so was there, was there anything that you actually got out of it or it's just the acknowledgement? Uh, yeah, so they, they do have a, a conference, which I think they normally have in person, and obviously it's, it's virtual, as many things are in this world. Um, but, yeah, you know, the people that are reaching out to you after something like that is, is awesome. Um, like, just the people that you can get connected to and, and the people that you join as alumni of the Forbes 30 Under 30 um, is really cool. Like, they're doing far more exciting stuff than me. Oh, um, I don't know. I reckon <laughs> they'd be looking at it. Give like, it time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's so cool in just one, I suppose, someone I know. But in terms of ag, getting that um, getting that spotlight shone on it, it's incredible. And particularly as just such a young business as well. Yeah. I think for for the Australian beef industry and the ag tech um the ag tech industry for, for Australia as well, it's really unique to be profiled in there. Um, you know, we were in the, well, I was in the class of um, industry and manufacturing and there's a lot of cool things going on there and I think we were maybe like one of two ag-centric um, founders, I guess. Um, and so that that is really cool and I think that's a good reflection of of the industry, the support behind it, and on a global scale, how important this is, you know, whether it be black box or or what we're doing in, in beef and agriculture in general, it's important and it's, and it's never been more so important than what we've seen with, through COVID. Yeah, for sure. And I suppose that's quite a good conduit to the last part being uh, this week you're, you're the chair of the Next Gen Committee at Beef Australia. And so the theme for the day is make your start and leave your mark on the industry for young people and it's a question i ask everyone on the podcast like for say students in year 10 at school who are starting to think about well what does life look like beyond school in those first kind of years what's your advice to them and i suppose yeah around agriculture um i honestly think that there's there's endless possibilities in agriculture like um definitely you know grade 10 i wanted to be a vet and save the orangutans quite clearly but like and I've ended up in a very different spot but even from starting vet to where I finish like it's just because you you're going to do a trade or a degree or, or study something or work somewhere it doesn't mean that's where you're going to end up five years just take the opportunities as they come um say yes to as much as you can um I sometimes kill myself by saying yes to all of that stuff but it's honestly truly paid off and yeah just have a crack you never know what's around the corner great advice i was going to say like don't be afraid to make your start hit pause and then work out where it is you go and what direction exactly like yeah. your career and i think um you know all the things that matter to you in, in grade 10 or even at uni you know grades um you know formal dresses i can't remember what was important but probably <laughs> probably those were two up there i like they do not matter at the end of the day, um, just be a good person, have fun, um, work hard, and yeah, just keep saying yes. It's great advice. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for jumping on and having a chat. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. <laughs> well, that's it for another week. Thanks, as always, for joining us on the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm looking forward to bringing you more chats over the next few weeks. And as always, if you've got any ideas of people who you think we should chat to or you'd like to hear from, please get in touch.
You can find out more about this episode by following the show notes below. Get in touch with Shannon or find out more about Black Box. I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, LAWD, specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. You can find out more by clicking on the link in our show notes or www.lawd.com.au. Look after yourselves, guys. Stay safe, stay sane, and I look forward to joining you next week.